Hello and welcome. We are so glad that you are here. Pastor Chris today is going to be taking us into the book of Jude. It's going to be a bit of a storytelling message, but I'm confident it's going to bless you. I hope it will help strengthen you in your relationship with Christ. So enjoy the message. Look, there's, there's three types of sermons, and I say four. The three types of sermons are verse by verse, right? Where you exegete the text and you take people verse by verse. Then there is textual, where you take a text and you kind of go through the whole text together. Then there's topical, where you take a topic like faith or forgiveness and you apply different scriptures. And I say there's a fourth, and today you're finally going to get to see that, hear that, and experience that. It's called storytelling. And through storytelling and a handful of scriptures today, a couple of them are already listed in your sermon notes, we're going to take a look at true love, the reality of true love. And in the reality of true love, there are certain things that we need to look at. Some of it is tone. Some of it is approach. Some of it is actual conscience behind the action. And we're going to use stories to get there. Emily and I were talking about how much we've changed since 2015, just in seven years. How now it is so more, it's just critically important that you all follow the 11th commandment, which is, thou shalt be nice. Blessed are the nice. Jesus saved you to be nice. And by the way, that commandment now in many churches in the country and in many Christian walks trumps all the other 10. So I want to ask you, if I was given some foreknowledge, I was given foreknowledge. Last night, I, for this story, I want you to picture that I was transferred ahead 36 hours. And I know right now that your house is going to be ransacked and burned to the ground at 11.30 this morning. What should I tell you? Uh, hey, uh, you should maybe consider putting your security system up. Or should I say, hey, let's get as many people from the church and let's go stand guard at your house. Because this is coming. It's happening. Right? Well, the way we get judged by how much tone we have and what our approach is and how we're going to do things with people is what really has stunted the growth of Christians everywhere. And there's too many times we have people come to Jesus for behavior modification. And I've told you over and over that God did not come in the form of Jesus Christ to live a perfect life, to die a sacrificial death, to have victory over the death, hell, and the grave so that we could become good little boys and girls. He did that so that we could be going from death to life. Too many people, they want Jesus as a solution to this problem. Jesus is not a solution. Jesus is a savior. And when he gives you new life, there's all kinds of solutions. But if you're just seeking the solution and you want Jesus so that he will make you this, that, or the other thing, you end up with what I call a false conversion. And then in that false conversion, you start living a weak Christian life. And you walk into a church like this with your baby spoon. And I want people to walk in with a steak knife. And so what do you do? Well, you start telling them the truth. Your house is going to get ransacked. You're going to, it's going to get burned to the ground. You are going to die. And then after that, the judgment. 
Because what I believe, I believe is really real, and I believe God's shown it to me. And so many times people get off base in their faith. And what do we have? God said, I will build a church. And in that church, you will come together. You will rally together. And you guys will strengthen each other. You miss church. You're hurting my faith because I need you to help strengthen me. And I need to stand here because I'm going to be held accountable. I need to give you the truth. And sometimes I need to whisper it. Sometimes I need to smile. And sometimes I just need to tell you straight up, this is it. Trains leaving the station, get on board or forever hold your peace. See, many times we deceive ourselves. Now listen, when are you no longer deceived? When you're not deceived anymore. Until that point, you're deceived. And sometimes you need people to wake you up out of that deception. So what if I told you today, and as I tell this story, you need to begin in your mind right now. You and I have been best friends since we were this tall. We're the same age, and we can tell each other anything. But I come and I say, I'm going to be in the NBA. My goal, I'm following my heart. I want to be in the NBA because I'm good. I'd bounce this, but it's flat because my dog bit it. <laughs> you know what? There was a time 20-some years ago, 35 years ago, when I did a pickup game in Minneapolis on Lindale Avenue, and the tallest guy out there was like 5'10". And the, the court that we had there had a basket that they'd lowered to 8 feet. I could jam. <laughs> I, was, I was good. I mean, I was raining stuff out of the sky. And so... I tell myself, I want to go to the NBA now at 57 years old. And I say, you know what? I'm going to make a big sacrifice and follow my dream. My dream of being in the NBA because I still have this great low post move that no one can stop that's under six foot. And you come to me and you say, Chris, look, it's a nice dream and all, but you're too old, you're too short and you're too slow. And I say, yeah, but I've been praying about this. And I really feel if I put in the work that I have a shot. And so a week goes by, a month goes by, and I start working out. I start losing weight. I start getting better. I start getting a little quickness. I'm out there shooting 250 shots every day, and I'm raining them in from everywhere. And I say, you know what? I think I can do this. I'm going to even take another big step. And I need to come up with $50,000 because there's a guy in LA who says he can't promise anything, but if I give him 50 grand, he'll get me a tryout with the Celtics. Well, Celtics probably too big. Let's say Timberwolves. Just sports fans will get that. <laughs> but again, no promises, but I don't have 50 grand, but I got to go raise it because this is my dream. I'm following my heart. Now, you're my best friends of my whole life. You're going to maybe start raising your tone a little bit. You're going to say, dude, you're too old, you're too short, and you're too slow. And now my delusion goes even farther. Now I'm going to sell my house. My wife's going to leave me. I'm going to raise any kind of money I can, and I'm going to go do this. And even though I can't even compete with the high school players, I now put God's name into it. 
and I say to you, the Holy Spirit told me I'm supposed to go to the NBA because God will get the glory because there's never been a five foot eight, 57-year-old in the NBA. And I start making weird statements like, well, Spud Webb was shorter than I was and he could jam a ball. Yeah, well, Spud Webb had more than a two and a half inch vertical. So with exasperation, with sweat in your face, you get a couple other friends and you come to my house and you plead with me and you don't care about tone anymore because I'm throwing my life away and you say in the most harsh way, you're too old, you're too short, and you're too slow. But I still won't hear it. I still won't hear it. I'm still going to sacrifice everything for my dream because all the movies say, follow your heart. And now I've convinced, I've convinced myself in my own delusion that the Holy Spirit, because God's going to get the glory, when in reality, I want the glory and give a tip to God, give a wink to God. I want the glory. I want to be the first 57-year-old, five-foot-nothing point guard in the NBA. You follow, and now... The last time you see me, you're just begging God for a breakthrough. And you say in a tone, you're too old. You're too short. You're too slow. How many of us have that in our life? How many of us have that where we think that there's supposed to be certain things going on and we're not, we're not understanding how delusional we are? We want to just grind on people. We want our pound of flesh when Jesus says, forgive them. But Lord, didn't you see what they did? Didn't you see how they treated this person or how they treated me? The worst is my kids. Somebody's really mean to my kids. Lord, I think we both would agree I should really go throttle those people. And God says, no, leave it to me. Or what about your own sins? How do you deal with your own justification versus sanctification? Because I explained that two weeks ago when I was here. I talked about being justified, born again in Christ, and then sanctification and growing. And how we can sit on the sidelines and deceive ourselves. Let me give you another example, another story example. When I started racing cars in 1999, I had an old Howe chassis. Uh, 1999 started racing. I had a 1969, 30-year-old Howe chassis. This thing was never going to be competitive. We had a, just a cheap engine, and, but we were out there in the late model class. In fact, a lot of guys had more money in their motors than I had in my whole operation. And we would try to run as best we could, but, I mean, the cards were stacked against us. The Pole qualifying time at the track I was running at was 16.8, 16.9 every week. And if I could qualify with a 16.5 or 16, or 17.5, 17.6, I was doing pretty good. Most of the time it was right at the high 17s, low 18s, depending on what kind of tires I had. But if they're turning 17-second flats and I'm turning 18-second flats in a 30-lap feature that goes green, you can't stay on the lead lap. And that's, you say, well, that's only one second. One second on a racetrack that's a little more than a quarter mile, you, you, they, you'd look slow. And so there was a gal who worked with some of the members of my team, and she had a boyfriend whose name was Brian. And Brian was a pizza delivery boy with a very big mouth. And he kept just 
I could drive your car faster than you. I could drive your car faster than you. Now, what he didn't know, I had the track champion jump in and couldn't drive it any faster than I could. I was giving it all I had. It just was not a very good car. We got a top five one time. We acted like we won the Daytona 500. <laughs> well, Brian kept on, and I said, and he said, put me in that car, and I'll show you how to drive it, because I deliver pizzas in my Honda Prelude. <laughs> this is a true story. And so finally, after weeks of this, there was a test session coming up. And I said, all right, you bring your Honda Prelude to the test session. You bring your title and your key. You wreck my car, I own your Honda. And to be honest with you, the way that car was, I was really hoping he was going to wreck it. <laughs> but I got a free Honda Prelude. And I said, I'll put you in it. I said, um, and there was all kinds of people involved in this. You know, like if he could actually turn a better than an 18-second lap, I mean, people were, you know, there were side bets, and it just became a thing. Well, once the real test session got done, there was still about 20 minutes left, and it's Brian's time. And the way the car would roll on the track, it would go off on turn four onto the front stretch, and then you would roll off of just before turn three, and all the pits were behind three and four. So everybody's up on the back fence, and he's sitting over there strapped into my car, and I'm putting the window net up, and, I'm, and, he, and he fires it up, and his eyes get this big. And I'm like, come on, Bri Bri, now's your time. Just remember, I want that prelude. Give it all you got. And I knew he, what was going to happen because I'm not dumb. These, it takes a while. It's called seat time. I didn't think it was going to go as bad as it did, but it went really bad. Brian got out there and he hammered the gas, probably the first time he'd ever had 600 horsepower under his seat. And he lifted at the end of the straightaway and rolled all the way through the corner. And then he'd stand on the gas for three more seconds and roll all the way through the corner. Now, he only had five laps. That was the agreement. And his fifth lap was his fastest, and it was a little more than 26 seconds. You see what I'm saying? It's easy to stand on the sidelines and look at people and say, they should be better than this. I'm better than that. I would never fall like that. Yeah, the last pastor that cheated on his wife probably said that. The last executive that didn't want to embezzle from his company probably said that. He probably looked at somebody else a year or two earlier and said, I would never embezzle from my company. This is why the Bible says, examine yourself to see if you're in your faith. Keeping with repentance, daily pick up the cross and follow me. That's why we come to a church and we strengthen each other. And I want steak knives here and I'll take 20 steak knives over 200 baby spoons any day of the week. Because if you're on the sidelines and you're critical of what's going on, you got to get yourself in the game. Strap in the car, see how fast you can go, then open your mouth. And here's the reality of it. If we do this, and if we do it correctly, we do it from a humble spot where Jesus is making us into a sanctified believer who he can use for his kingdom. And people take that don't judge thing to the extreme to where you can't even say what's right and wrong anymore. And in our society, we have a radio announcer by the name of Steve Noble who just got banned from Twitter by, by posting one sentence. Rachel Levine is a man. Banned. Gone. We are, we are beyond the pale in this country as far as what more darkness has to come before the church of Jesus Christ will say, I want to authentically be all in. 
I want to tell people that are too old, too, too slow, and too short, of, that have NBA dreams, I want to tell them the truth. I, I want to let people get in the race car so they can see they got a lot more growth to go. I want to do things differently with my life because of the times in which we live. What has to happen? If we are living on the coast and a hurricane is coming and we had planned to grill and watch the basketball games all day today, you know what we're going to do instead? We're going to fill up sandbags and we're going to board up our windows because we want to protect our property. Now, if you don't want to protect your property and you don't want to wait out the storm, you can get in your car and drive to another state and let the hurricane come through and come back and see what you got. But responsible people don't do that. They give up their barbecue and their basketball watching to protect their home. That's what the 30-day prayers and the three big questions are, is are you going to come alongside? Are you going to go deeper with Christ for such a time as this? And it's not about Lifehouse. It's about the church of Jesus Christ, the real authentic church. I don't care how many people are in Lifehouse. We're going to feed the sheep, whoever come. And I'm doing my very best to try not to count, try not to keep score, just show up, be faithful, and see what God does. So I asked myself, is there anywhere in the scripture that will help me with this? And the matter of fact, there is. It's in the book of Jude. There is no Jude 1, although you have to do that for digital purposes, because there's only one chapter. So you have to say Jude verses 17 through 24. But I want to look at these together with you. Let's, let's go to the first verse. In verse 17, it says, But you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of your Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you, in the last time there will be scoffers following in their own ungodly passions. I think that's pretty self-evident, isn't it? Wouldn't you say? Verse 19, it is these who cause divisions, worldly people, devoid of the Spirit. Who's he talking about? He's, talk, he's not talking about Christians. He's not talking about authentic believers. He's talking about the worldly people. But you, now he's back in with us. But you, beloved, building yourselves up in the most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, that's us, that's most of us, what do we do? We keep ourselves in the love of God. We keep ourselves in the love of God. That's why the reality of true love is so important, and that's what we're going to talk about today. For the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to what? Leads to a better basketball player? Leads to a better salesman? Leads to somebody who, who's better in Abilene, Kansas? No, it leads to eternal life. This makes burning your house to the ground nothing. We're talking about eternal life. Verse 22, and have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them from the fire. To others show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. Before we go to verse 24, back it up. Before we go to verse 24, see that. See those, see others, see others. What, what is the point? The point is, is that you're not going to be like you, and you're not going to be like you, and you're not going to be like you. We all have different things. So who can help the variety of spiritual uh, circumstances? Us, the authentic Christian. Does he deal with them all the same? No. Some get whispered to. Others, you have to get in their face and tell them what's what. 
but you don't apologize because everybody is just so apologetic. Oh, I, I'm, just, I'm, not, I'm, I'm supposed to be, Jesus said to be nice. Where? He said right here, snatch some of them from the fire. Others show mercy with fear. How do you show mercy with fear? Because you know who you fear. You don't fear the one who can kill the body. You fear the one who can then cast it into hell, says the scriptures. Verse 24. It says, now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. That's why we have a church. That's why what, if you have this, it doesn't matter where you go, but where you go, you commit to. You commit to it because the people there need your commitment. And you need theirs. And you need as many of those people with steak knives as you can. You know why? Because the one with the baby spoons, they need you. And you want to know if you have a baby spoon and you've never grown in your faith? The steak knife people need you too. They want to help you. It's part of the journey. It's part of growing in the faith. It's part of seeing God do something in you that you can't do yourself. He does stuff all the time where I'm sitting back and I'm like, wow. And sometimes I get credit for what God does. Sometimes I get blamed for what God does. And you want to know something? And when you're authentically surrendered all day, every day, your burden is light and your yoke is easy and anxiety floats away. Now I'm going to have a little minute of confession here. I'm awake, let's just say 16 hours a day. God created us in a way for whatever reason that we wake up all full of life and at the end of 16 hours, we just got to shut her down. 14 of those 16 hours, on average, and I'm being very generic here. This is not like every day, like clockwork. This is just a generic story, okay? But it's true. About 14 out of 16 hours, I'm kicking it with the Lord every day. Everybody who's sitting in here, I cannot see a single person in here that I have not prayed for in the last two weeks. And I just love what God's doing in the lives of some of the Christians around the country. But I don't even stay in Abilene. My head and heart goes all over the country. If I make a Facebook post and get 50 likes, not more than five are from Abilene. That's my life. I'm not from here. If you do it and you get 50 likes, 45 are probably from here. That's, we're different. But you're still a part of me and I want to be a part of you, especially if you're a covenant partner. I want it to be real, not, not some fake, oh, I guess I'm covenant partner until I decide not to be. That's not real. But anyway, 14 out of 16 hours, that's me. Let me tell you about two other hours. I'm sad. I'm mad. And I'm really not. I call it sour. Why does this have to be this way? Why does it have to be that way in America now? Why does Abilene have to be like this? Are you sure Kansas is where you want me? How come we don't ever have funding for this or that? And you want to know what lifts it? The Word of God. And going to the Lord, not with my complaints, not with my anxiety, but going to the Lord with thanksgiving. Going to the Lord and being thankful for what I have. 
See, my heart breaks for America, and I told you guys this two Wednesdays ago, because America's constitution and America's great wealth are two of the greatest things that ever helped share the gospel worldwide. And those are the two big things that everybody wants to take away from us. And with the great reset coming out of Davos, Switzerland, they want to take away America's constitution, and they want to eliminate America's wealth. I'm sad about that sometimes. I don't know how to fight back. I don't know how to do it biblically appropriate because if I do it biblically appropriate, there'll always be somebody out there to say, you're not doing it biblically appropriate. <laughs> do you realize that I was involved, and I brought this up six months ago, I was involved watching a fight on Facebook between Christians over who the greatest preacher of all time was. Some said Spurgeon, some said A.W. Tozer, some said Billy Graham. And it wasn't that they could have their opinion it's that they had to tell the other people how wrong they were in their wrongy wrongness of their opinion. And I mean, if Christians can't even have that dialogue, how are they going to understand authentic, born-again redemption and sanctification growing after you've been justified? Asking for a friend. What you need to do is you need to understand that a Christian in the sanctification process has to be intentional. And that's where we have the disconnect. Because if you are intentional in your sanctification, it'll either become this workspace thing where I got to hurry up and get to work for the Lord so that I can earn a part of my salvation, or the pendulum swings over here where people are like, yeah, that's a work-based faith, and that's not what the God says. God says it's not works, it's by faith alone in Christ. And it's like, both of those are wrong. Paul says, I'll show you my, uh, James says, I'll show you my faith by what I do. And when you work out your faith with fear and trembling, what's that mean, says, says uh, the scriptures. That's what it says. Work out your faith with fear and trembling. So sanctification requires effort. You put forth effort with God. It's not, you're not earning any more of your justification. And you want to know something? The more I study this, the more I pray on this, and I've been doing it for decades, the more I realize, are you ready? It's simple. It's simple. We try to make the simple complex. It's not. It's simple. I am a sinner. I need to be saved by grace. I cannot earn it. It's a free gift from God. Now I'm saved. Now I'm born again. Now what? I'm given a baby spoon. And I start to feed myself. I start to grow. Sometimes other people have to feed me until I'm able to feed myself, tie my own shoes, ride my own bike, soon drive my own car. And then you're given a steak knife as you mature in your sanctification, which you have put in effort, which you have done intentionally. You are intentionally wanting to be with Jesus. You know, I had a conversation with someone who talked about the fact that they don't have this great prayer life and they don't really want to read the Bible. They, that's, that's not the point. The point is, is that eventually you will start to want to do more of these things with the Lord. And there is no super faith where all of a sudden you're on your knees for three hours a day and then you study God's Word. No, I mean, that's, that's activity. Now you're getting into workspace. It's still freedom in Christ. But if you only pray for two minutes a day, 30 seconds here, 30 seconds there, 30 seconds there, God will use those and they'll be stronger. doesn't mean you'll all of a sudden be now five minutes here, five minutes there, five minutes. No, it could always be for the rest of your life just a few 30-second prayers, and you will grow in your sanctification if you meet God with a humble heart saying, I want to be your servant. Does that make sense? We want to quantify everything. So let me give you a color-coded 
opportunity for you to understand what I'm talking about. It is not the activity of prayer and Bible study. It's the mindset that you're in a battle. Satan's coming for you. And the darkness that's coming over America is going to be hard to withstand. And I'm telling you right now, you can't do it alone. You can't. You need others. We need to lock arms. We need to stand firm together. And we are in a battle where the enemy does not take a day off. And our special forces, some of them, I can't speak for all of them, but there's a group of special forces that use a color coding that I want to share it with you today. Because if you put this color coding over your life, you will see what sanctification really is. Does it include Bible study and prayer and fellowship? Yes. Is that all it is? No. Sometimes it's a handful of 30-second prayers that are so much stronger today than they were yesterday. That's the difference. It's the strength that God gives us during our sanctification process. It doesn't mean that all of a sudden we become super Christians. I've heard somebody say, you know, I don't think I could ever be like Bill Howe. I think he prays like seven hours a day. And it's like, well, first of all, no, he doesn't. But yes, I get it. You look at that, you look at that kind of thing, that example, and you think that that's what you want to strive for. And I'm saying, no, not necessarily. Maybe. That might be what you need to do, but maybe not. Maybe you need to fight in these color codes for you in your own way. I can tell you, for me, I can be in this color code, and you know what helps me sometimes, not all the time, but you know what helps me sometimes? Is when I just go out and I race my video game. You mean you're not on your knees in the Gospels, reading in Greek and speaking in tongues? No, I'm playing a video game to clear my head so that God can use me better. That's true. Is that what I do every day? No. But sometimes. So let me give you the color coding. Here's what it is. There's white, there's yellow, there's orange, and there's red. When you are in the special forces, if you are white, you are completely chill. You are completely chill. You're grilling, you're, the music's on, you're sipping a beverage, and you just feel wonderful. And, no, and your phone, cell phone's off, and you know you've got the rest of the afternoon until the sun sets and ain't nobody going to bother you. That's white. Yellow is, hmm, I got to keep my ears open. I got to keep my eyes open. We're, we're kind of, you know, in, in safe, safe land here, but you never know. Uh, a, 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 an enemy might peek up. You never know how it's going to go. We might, we might get an alert. I got to know that my rifle's there. I got to know that my backpack's there. I got to know that some of my supplies are here, but I'm still okay. I, I don't have them on. I mean, it's okay. Orange, the enemy's been spotted and it's close by. Now you put the rucksack on, you get your ammo belt on, you grab your rifle, and you're, you're ready. Red, bullets are flying. You are in a firefight. It is game on. Christians, in the spiritual battle, we can never go to white. We must stay in yellow all the time and know that the enemy is around, ready to attack. And you want to know something? You can go to red in a heartbeat. Let me give you an example. I'm going to give you this example. Please, I don't want it to sound self-serving. It's just an intentional thing I do because I'm a guy. And we're on the beach. 
and a really hot bikini girl walks by. I'm in yellow, so I immediately see it could go to red. So I turn, and I look at my wife. Or I even close my eyes, and I think, man, she'd be great for my oldest son. Or I just start a conversation. If Emily's nearby, I'll just turn and start talking to her intentionally. Intentionally. Because the battle is to make me fall. And Satan will use anything that he can. And he's crafty. And he's sneaky. And he will get to you if he can. And you want to know the best way he doesn't get to you? Is if you're ready with the full armor of God to go to orange when yellow is not enough. And see, you're flipping the channels around at the hotel, and oh, the porn channel is just, it's free today. That's red, dude. Hit the button again. Oh, you're, you, you know, grow up, Chris. We're all adults. No, no, I'm in a battle. I'm in a battle. And if I lose that battle with the flesh, a lot of you are going to be hurt by it. Besides my family, besides my career, besides all of those other things that we put tangible on. But the kingdom of Christ takes a shot because I was not ready to do battle. What if it's gambling? What if it's shopping? What if it's whatever it is? It's something that you know that if you control it, it's good. We had a ministry leader from the BIC at the retreat who is 18 years sober, but you want to know what he did on Tuesday night or Monday night? He went to his AA meeting. He, went, he found an AA meeting in Durango, Colorado and went. Why? Because he never goes to white with alcohol. And he's 18 years sober. I would fig- figure after 18 days, I probably got her handled. You know? You follow? Everybody's thing is different. You know your thing. I don't know your thing. And you don't know my thing. But we have to be able to fight the good fight in the full armor of God. Because the battle is on for this church. The battle is on for your soul. The battle is on for the people that you're supposed to be as a steak knife, helping them from their baby spoon world. That's the purpose of this church when you all set it up, was to get a bunch of baby spoons in here. In fact, the charter actually reads, they want to reach the bowling alley crowd with this church. You're going to leave them as bowling alley crowd then? Or are you going to help them grow in their sanctification after they've been justified? Are you even going to lead them to justification in Christ? Or are you just going to love on them and leave them in their sins? Asking for a friend. See, Hebrews 10, 29 and 31 spells it out for us. How much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and who has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has outraged the Spirit of grace? Outrage the spirit of grace. For we know him who said, vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. Verse 31. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands 
of a living God. I'm just a friend of Jesus. Jesus is my buddy. Hey, let's turn on the Christian radio and listen to Jesus is my boyfriend song. I told you a couple weeks ago, look in Revelation 1. That's the Jesus we serve. John, who knew Jesus all the way up through his death and resurrection when he saw him, fell as if he was dead. That's the God we serve. You want to fall into his hands? When you fall into his hands, don't you wish there was somebody there to tell you the whole too old, too short, too slow thing about your Christian walk and did so with intentionality so you're not standing there and Jesus says, you knew and you didn't tell them. You knew and you just said, I don't care. You had a church that was built with a building and a coffee shop and an area where people could come in and know Jesus and you didn't invite anybody in. So let's say, as we bring it home today, that the spiritual journey is like a football game, okay? I've seen this. I, I witnessed what I'm about to tell you. It wasn't me. I, I did play quarterback in high school, but this wasn't me. But the quarterback had done something to tick off the all-state guard and the all-conference tackle. I don't know if it was girl or sister-related or whatever, but they decided they were going to get him. And they even worked it out through the first quarter with the linebacker in the end on that side. They just decided to let him in. So the quarterback would get the ball, and these guys would just crush him. Second down, they just crushed him again. Third down, they let him in, they crushed him again. They punted. And these guys are laughing, and they're mocking the quarterback. They get to the sideline, the coach is like, what's going on? Oh, nothing, I, uh, I have my arm here, and they're making excuses. They go back in the game for the next offensive series, and the first down, same thing happens. Coach calls timeout, pulls him out of the game. And I'm with that quarterback. I would rather have two third stringers who can't hardly keep these guys out, but give it their all than to have two people that could easily block and don't do a darn thing. You follow? This making sense? On our spiritual journey, look, no one has to play football. You can go to be in the civics club. You can go play video games. You can go home and grab a bag of Doritos and watch TV. You don't have to play football. But if you are going to play football, play football. You are expected to do what's necessary. It hurts when I block. It hurt. Then get off the field. We are called in our spiritual journey to give it our all. And our all will always be good enough. I think of when my kids or my grandkids were real small and they try to walk around, they try to do stuff. You know they can't really do anything. They're so cute. And you just love them anyway. That's what I think God's with us. He just wants our heart to pursue sanctification for his glory. Let's look at the last two scriptures of the day. Well, the last scripture and then a story about another one. 1 John 3, 2 and 3 says this. Beloved, we are God's children now. 
And what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when we, he appears, we shall be like him because we will see him as he really is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. That's true love, isn't it? Sanctification, yes? So, if you want to know true love, he died on the cross for you. And if you know him and you've accepted his blood covering your life and his resurrection from the dead gives you victory over death, hell, and the grave, then how then should we live? How then should we treat each other? How then should we forgive each other? How straight up should we be with people when they're acting a fool? And in that world, when anyone repents, we need to do all we can for restoration. But without repentance, there can be no forgiveness. You have somebody who's hurt you. I have people who've hurt me. There's, they're unrepentant. I can still have forgiveness and hold no record of wrong when I'm walking with Jesus in a sanctification way because he tells me that he will give me true love to cover a multitude of sins. You want an example? I don't have it on the screen. You can write it down and look it up later. John 21. What did Peter do the last time he saw the Lord? He betrayed him. After he said, I would never betray you, I'll follow you to your, my death. And Jesus says, by the time the rooster crows, you'll have denied me three times. He even did it in front of a 15-year-old waitress, a little court servant girl. That's how bad Peter fell. And he denied the Lord three times. The resurrected Christ is on the beach in John 21. And Peter comes to him. And you want to know what you won't find in that scripture? You won't find Jesus demanding a confession from Peter. No. Jesus asks him, are you going to love? Are you going to love? Will you feed my lambs? Will you feed my sheep? And that's us as sanctifying, walking Christians. Will we feed his sheep? And how can you feed the sheep if you can't feed yourself? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I ask for your blessing on this church. And when I say church, I mean the people. The people are the church. And there's many people in this congregation who have chosen to make this their temple, this their sanctuary. Strengthen us in this time to be able to lock arms for your glory. Let us grow ourselves deeper and stronger in our surrender, in our understanding, where the burden is light and the yoke is easy. It's not a burdensome thing, but Lord, we don't want to fall into your hands. It's a fearful thing. You are the living God. We love you. We thank you. We praise you today. And Lord, please, 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 may your kingdom come quickly. Amen and amen. Thanks for tuning in to our Sunday message. To donate, request prayer, or to contact Pastor Chris, you can write to Lifehouse Church at P.O. Box 661, Abilene, Kansas, 67410 or go online at lifehouse-church.com. On behalf of the entire congregation, thanks again for your support.